Hi, I'm Marilyn Dennis. This is Marilyn Dennis Does a Podcast. This episode, I'll be chatting with Jay Shetty, a former monk turned purpose coach, podcaster, and the author of Think Like a Monk, which became an instant number one international bestseller. Growing up in the UK, Jay got in with the wrong crowd in high school and was almost expelled. A wake-up call to get his act together. In college, he pursued business studies and had high hopes of achieving great wealth in the corporate world. But another wake-up call was around the corner, a campus talk by a Hindu monk who became his mentor and life coach. Amazed at how truly happy this monk seemed to be, Jay followed him to India and spent three years studying to become a monk himself. So how does a former monk become a best-selling author? with a huge celebrity and social media following. Let's talk with Jay Shetty and find out. Hi. <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful to be here. Uh, we're happy to have you. The full title of the book is Think Like a Monk, Train Your Mind for Peace and Purpose Every Day. Uh, I love the word purpose. Now more than ever, it seems to be so important. Um, so this book was written pre-pandemic. That's right. I finished writing it at the end of last year. The book was meant to come out in April, but it was pushed back because of the pandemic. But I'm really grateful of the timing because the biggest feedback that I've heard from everyone who's already reading or listening to the book is that this is what they needed right now to feel like they can restart yeah. and reset their year. So I've, I'm really grateful that it got pushed back. You know, um, it's now more needed than ever uh, because people are resetting. That's another one of pivot, resetting, lockdown. Some of these terms are really becoming uh, more natural for us to speak. Um, your vision is to make the wisdom of monks go viral. I, I love your story. You have to tell people what sets you on this path. Yes. Yeah, so for me, I was born and raised in London. And I was pursuing everything that anyone else would, a good job, a good partner, a good career, and a good life. And I didn't really know what that meant beyond the material pursuits that one can have. And when I was 18, I met a monk for the first time. And I was invited to hear him speak. And I didn't even want to go because I thought, what would I learn from a monk? Like, I didn't really understand how that would benefit me. But I went along to this event. I told my friends that I'd only go if we go to a bar afterwards. They agreed. They were That's, good at persuading me. I love that me. part. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I end up at this event. Just to, just to tell you what my state of consciousness was like, I end up at this event and I go there expecting nothing. And this is the beauty of these moments in our life that change our lives because they humble us. When we look back and I think, wow, I went there with no expectation but I walked out with so much. And the reason why it resonated with me so much is this monk spoke about how using our gifts and talents in the service of others was the greatest thing we could do. And I thought, wow, that was so profound and meaningful. Age 18, I'd never heard anyone talk about service or supporting people or helping people in that way. And that really struck me and stuck with me. And that changed the path of my life. And I also know this about you. You're the one that would go to all these corporate uh, guys, as like the, the talks, right? You know, I got to go see this guy because he made a lot of money and he did really well. So I better go get and pick his brain. Am I right? 
Yeah, I was always intrigued to learn from people who'd done intense sacrifices, discipline, people who'd gone above and beyond to live an alternative life or create an extraordinary life for themselves. And I've always been fascinated by habits and minds. And that's why when I met the monk and after living as a monk, I studied and started reading research about monks' brains. And I saw that monks scientifically have the happiest most present and most compassionate brains on the planet. And I thought, wait a minute, I think those are three things that we all need. We all want more joy in our lives. We all want more mm-hmm. presence and attention, and we all need more compassion and peace in our lives. So why not help everyone think like a monk? Okay. So then the other thing I'm going to ask you, because I'm just imagining you at this, this situation before you go to the bar and have a drink with your guys is did the did the monk that that you uh, eventually became very close to did you find the way he was the did he give you peace when you looked at him the way he spoke that must resonate with people too right absolutely when i when i look back marilyn the interesting thing is that it was one of those moments where you could genuinely feel someone's presence and energy and it wasn't a it wasn't for me at that time i didn't really understand anything about spirituality or wisdom for me it was just you could feel that groundedness and now when i look back i realized that when i was 18 i'd met people who were famous i'd met people who were rich i'd met people who were beautiful and attractive and smart and intellectual but i'd never met anyone who was truly joyful and happy and and that's what i felt when i was around him in his presence and i still feel that today when i'm with him and when i visit again and it's just so amazing to see someone you know i've known him now for over 15 years and he he still yeah. has that if not more well here's my next question you go from studying to be a monk to becoming a best selling author with a number one health podcast and a huge social media following but you've had your fair share of rejections. Oh yeah, for sure. When I first came back from living as a monk, it was probably the most difficult time of my life at that point because I didn't know who the prime minister was. I didn't know who won the World Cup and I'm a big football fan. I didn't know how to do small talk anymore because monks don't do small talk. And so when I came back, I was in $25,000 worth of debt. Uh, I was rejected by 40 companies before interview despite being a first class honors degree student from my university and after that when I had this idea to create wellness videos and create content to help people I was rejected by another 10 media organizations in London and then three media execs who told me I was too old to be in media age 28 told me I was too underqualified because I didn't do any communications or media at university and told me that I shouldn't waste my time trying to make this shift because I wasn't right for it and so there were so many I think about it so often that there are so many reasons why none of this could have been possible and I'm so grateful that I kept going but I'm more grateful that so many people have been so drawn towards these insights and messages that I'm just trying to share they've existed for thousands of years and I'm grateful I get to right. be a messenger So I have to ask you there are people that would are listening to this and watching this right now and saying yeah but what all those rejections that's a lot of rejection what kept you going what was the key message in your brain to say I got to keep on going because there's something here 
So I remember just thinking that there had to be multiple routes to where you want to get to. And I remember reading this incredible quote uh, from Edison. And in the quote, he said that when you feel you've exhausted all options, remember this, you haven't. And when I was reading about people who had succeeded oh, wow. in life, they'd all failed. They'd all had multiple rejections. And so whether I was reading yeah. about entrepreneurs, or I was reading about, and this is why it's so important to study the lives of people that inspire us. Because when we study lives of people that inspire us, we notice that they've had a lot of rejection, a lot of failure, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of mistakes. And then it allows you to judge yourself less and realize you're on the same path. And so that gave me a lot of confidence that everyone I looked up to and admired had gone through so much rejection and failure. You know, it's interesting. That's probably why I like biographies so much. Because I, and when I interview people, I go, how did you get from there to there? Because that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know the goal's important, but the process, the storytelling, the, uh, you know, the pain, the agony, a uh, little bit of defeat, it, you know, it's all, it all is, when you look back, it's helpful to other people to share that story. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, mantras or affirmations that I repeat to myself when I go through a rejection or failure is that this just makes mm -hmm. the story better. This just makes the story mm -hmm. better. Because if we look at any story in life, it, there is no perfect story. There's no one who has the perfect life or the perfect journey. Everyone's journey and story is up and down, up and down. And I think right. the more we understand that, the more we observe that, the more we feel it's okay if our journey's up and down. Yeah, that's so, it normalizes it, that's for sure. Okay, so Jay, we have to talk about ways we can think like a monk. Number one, be present. Don't have a monkey mindset. Talk to me about that. <laughs> yeah, so in the book, I talk about this differentiation between the monkey mind and the monk mind. Now, the monkey mind is something we're all very familiar with. Our mind is jumping from branch to branch, thought to thought. The monkey mind is just interested in the next instant gratification. The monkey mind sometimes likes to complain and compare and criticize and the monk mind is the antidote to all of those. So the monk mind is collaborative and conscious. The monk mind is intentional. The monk mind thinks more long-term than short-term. And so we've all had glimpses of the monk mind as well. But through daily practices and daily reminders, we can start to almost wean away from our monkey mind and start to feed our monk mind, which we all have inside of us already. And the way we do that, especially when you said being present, there's a great technique that I learned as a monk for grounding and today is used by psychologists and therapists to help people with anxiety. And it's called the five, four, three, two, one technique. So if you ever feel like you're stuck in your head or you feel like you're in the past or the future, or you feel like you're just not here right now, what you have to do is look around the room or wherever you are and ask yourself, what are the five things I can see? And then go through them one, two, three, four, five. And then what are the four things that I can touch? And then you touch those four things, whatever it may be. Touch those four things. Three things that you can hear. So a moment of silence. Just see what you can, uh, listen to what you can hear. Two things that you can smell and one thing that you can taste. 
So this technique known as the 54321 method today by psychologists and therapists and used by monks for grounding is a great way of bringing ourselves back into the physical moment and get out of our heads. So sometimes you can think like a monk if you, you have to work at it because we're used to being like the monkey, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. No, just kidding. So, so, you know, there are days that you wake up and you're like, chill on, I got this kind of thing. And there's days we don't even know why we're thinking like, we're like kind of going from branch to branch without taking time to appreciate. I, that's how I'm looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's actually those days where you think you've got it, that you have to train harder. And that's one of the mistakes we make is that we become complacent or we think, oh, today I feel fine. So I don't need to meditate today or I don't need to work out today or I don't need to do this today. And that's actually where a lot of our challenges begin. And so I talk about how, you know, studies show that 80 percent of us look at our phones first thing in the morning before we see our partners or our kids. And the last thing at night after we see our partners and our kids. So let me give you an example, Marilyn. When you wake up in the morning, let's say sure. you slept well, you wake up at a zero, mm -hmm. right? You wake up at zero. You're like, I had a good sleep. I mm -hmm. start my day at zero. When you look at your phone first thing in the morning and you see notifications, you see noise, you see negativity, you're now starting your day at a minus five and you spend the rest of the day like the monkey trying to climb back up to zero. But if you wake up, and you have a grateful thought, and then you maybe read or listen to something inspirational, and then maybe you spend a few minutes meditating and you do a little bit of exercise. You've now started the day at plus five. So even if you have a tough day, you end up at plus two, even if you've had a lot of negativity in the day. And so we need to start our days off, whether we start our days off mentally feeling good or struggling, it's so important to set ourselves up for a joyful and successful day. Oh, so now, what we have to do is set the alarm a little bit earlier so we can have a grateful thought or maybe do a little workout or something to, to, to put some, I'm going to say money in the bank. That's probably not a good monk thing to say, but just to, <laughs> just to give us a little something more. Right. Right. So yeah, um, no, I'm, 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 I'm with you on that because there was a time when there, you know, in, in all of our lives, there always is, but for in my life that I would go outside because I do a morning show here in Toronto and I take a cup of coffee and I was really troubled by a, a, a couple of situations happened in my life. And I would go out with a coffee with my pajamas and the keys to the house. So I wouldn't be locked out. And I would be very quiet on the front porch and just, I would just think, and I try to, to uh, get everything out of my mind and focus on one thing. And mm. uh, it, one day it was raccoons going across the, the, the lawn it just gave me this, it just kind of took, took care of this so early in the morning after hearing the alarm go off and anticipating what the day is going to be like. Why, why did we yeah. do that? I don't know why we do that. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, another well, point, I love that. It, That's a beautiful yeah. example. Yeah. If you can find it, it you, you can, if you find something that gives you peace, I think that's really helpful. Use isolation to gain better understanding of relationships. Talk to me about that. So I think Marilyn, we've developed a very negative relationship with loneliness or being alone. We, when we were kids, if you weren't surrounded by a lot of kids, you'd be considered the loner. If you didn't have a lot of kids at your right. birthday party, you'd be considered unpopular. 
if you're 35 and single, it's like, what, you're still single? How are you not with anyone? So we've created a very negative connotation to being alone. But actually, being alone allows you to calm the noise and to find out how you really feel about something or someone. When you're always surrounded by the opinions and the expectations of others, you feel so noisy that you don't know what your own mind or heart is telling you. And so taking some time out to be alone, to be with yourself, to spend that quality time with yourself allows you to really understand what's important to you. And then you can come back and reconnect with people with a sense of feeling centered and grounded. So actually being alone or spending time in solitude is not bad. It's not negative. It can actually be used to deepen a real relationship in a more meaningful way because you know who you are and what you want. So in these days of lockdown, Jay, you're at home, you're working from home, your husband's working from home, you got three kids, you got a homeschool. How are you going to find that time? Because we know it's important. Absolutely. So I'd say the one thing is, is creating a rule and a habit with your partner where you're both supporting each other in finding some time for each other throughout the day or at least once a week. So you know you're going to cover for each other once a week. Uh, to make it a realistic plan so that either of you can have some personal time and personal space. And I think this is where that collaboration aspect comes in in relationships of recognizing that my role as a partner is to help my partner get closer to the best version of themselves, to get closer to what they truly want to do. And when we're both doing that for each other and we can cover for each other with the kids or with work or whatever it may be, we're allowing that person to actually come back with more. And the biggest thing we're all dealing with, Marilyn, is guilt. We all feel guilty for taking time out for ourselves because we think people need us. We think our workplace needs us. We think our kids need us. But actually, our workplace needs us at our best and our kids need us at our best. And we get to our best when we take out some time to rest, to reflect, to contemplate, to calm. And so actually recognizing that taking 10 minutes out is not taking 10 minutes out. It's actually an investment into doing everything else better. And we have to remove that judgment and guilt on ourselves and recognize we'll actually be able to give more of ourselves. And that's what investment in yourself is all about and so needed. And yes, the family will benefit from it, no doubt. The, the learning the art of detachment, can you explain that to, to us? Yes, yeah, so I think a lot of people feel detachment means you don't care about something. And mm. attachment means you're addicted or obsessed with something. But those are both opposites and the monk mind is far more balanced and in the center. What it means to be detached from something is to realize that you can only focus on the process and the approach, but you can't control the results. So we can't control what is happening in the economy. We can't control what's happening around of us. But what we can control is how we choose to start our days. What we can control is how we choose to end our days. What we can control is how we explain things to our children. These are things that we can truly have an impact on. And detachment means to work on those things and not be distracted by those things that ultimately we don't have an influence over. Okay, I get that. Morning routines are key. Explain your T-I-M-E acronym. Time acronym. Yes. I want to hear about absolutely. this. Because I, I, I got to tell you, Jay. Uh, I, I, first of all, I want to ask you this question. 
do you always get up in the morning peaceful? Like, are you always like, you know? I would say that that is more the rule than the exception, but I do have days where I don't wake up feeling that way. And I'm pretty good at knowing exactly what it is. Either I slept too late, either I ate too late, uh, either I watched the wrong thing before I went to bed. Like there's usually a very clear reason right. why you feel that way. So if you watched a show that keeps you on the edge of your seat or the edge of your bed and is all right. about, uh, you know, like conspiracy and questioning and maybe it's mystery, you're going to wake up anxious. You may even sleep anxious because you've been fueling your brain with anxiety. And a lot of TV shows are wired to do that. So it's natural. Or if you went to sleep really late, the human growth hormone, which is really important for us, is most active when we sleep between 10 p.m. and midnight. So if you slept after midnight, you're not really accessing the highest forms of the HGH, the human growth hormone. And so naturally you're feeling less enthusiastic in the morning. So to me, it's always very clear what it is. If you ate too late, your body has tried to spend all your time sleeping, digesting your meal, and so hasn't let you rest. Yeah. So there are so many things that we can shift. So in our morning routine, there are four habits that I recommend, and they are T-I-M-E. Right. And so T stands for thankfulness. Even if you wake up feeling really anxious and stressed, studies show that if we're present in gratitude, in a state of gratitude, we can't be anywhere else. So if you wake up and you're feeling anxious or stressed, and you remind yourself, and you may even just have a little post-it note near your bed that says, let me be thankful for someone or something. And what I recommend to everyone is choose one person a day to send a video, a voice note, a text message to, and thank them being really specific. Marilyn, I want to ask you a question about this, actually. Can you name two of sure. your friends? They can be imaginary friends, but I need two names. Patty and Virginia. Okay, Patty and Virginia, uh, disclaimer, I do not know Patty and Virginia and anything I say about them is not factually correct. It is me making it up for this example. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> so let's say Marilyn organizes a party after all of this is over and it's safe to do that. And she has her friends over and Patty and Virginia come. It's a great party. And the next day, Patty and Virginia send a thank you message. And Patty says, Marilyn, thank you for having me. That's it. And then Virginia says, oh my gosh, that was the best party ever. Thank you so much. The food was amazing. Your family is so beautiful. The games we played were such good fun. And this really made my year. Thank you for making 2020 much better. Now, you're a grateful person, so you'll feel grateful and thankful for both those messages. But which one is going to fill you with more joy? It's likely Virginia's message. Because Virginia's message is Correct. personalized and it's specific. And so when you give thankfulness or gratitude, it has to be personalized and specific. It can't just be, I'm grateful for the air or I'm grateful for the sun. Right. It has to be really, really specific and you have to share it. The I stands for inspiration. Every day, wake up and read a quote that you love a prayer that you love. You may read from your favorite book or listen to a podcast. For me, at one point, I used to daily listen to Steve Jobs' commencement speech at Stanford University every single day. And I think it had such a really? profound impact on my life. Yeah, because the words are so powerful in that speech. And I just found that listening to it every day was a great way of feeling inspired and motivated. 
And so it's creating a daily habit for inspiration. It's almost like you have to eat every day to make sure you're full. We have to feed ourselves with inspiration every day to make sure that we're inspired. The third one is M, meditation. We spoke about that. What you said was beautiful, Marilyn, what you do for meditation, spending some time and just redirecting your focus, allowing that imbalance to calm. What a beautiful example that was. And then the E stands for exercise. Now, exercise doesn't just mean a gym or a treadmill. It can be your 10,000 steps. It can be a dance party. It can be a virtual workout. Movement is so important for the body. And just moving for five minutes a day can just create so much more good energy in your life. So every day, ask yourself, all you have to do is four habits. Have I been thankful? What did I do to get inspired? Did I spend some time on my own? And have I moved my body? Those are the four things that we need to do uh, to live a healthy and happier life. To make for better days, that's for sure. Breathing is important too. Um, and I want to talk to you about that because um, some of us, I don't even think, realize that we're doing this. You know, we're, we're all uptight. We're not really breathing through. So tell me about that. Yeah, if I would just tell everyone who's watching and listening right now, just quickly move through your body and just notice if anywhere feels tight. You might feel a tightness in your jaw. A lot of you might find a tightness in between your eyebrows where you, where you might not even realize, but you're kind of squinting really hard. You may notice a bit of tightness in your upper shoulders and back. Just notice how much of your body is constricted to usual body patterns. And that happens because we use our muscles in the same way every day. We don't really break them up. And our breath is so important. If you notice our positive or negative emotions, Marilyn, are connected to our breath. We say things like, that's breathtaking. He or she takes my breath away. But we also say, hold on, wait a minute, let me, let me catch my breath. Um, oh, that's bad news. Let me just take a breath, right? And so both our positive and negative emotions are connected to our breath. We experience everything through our breath. When we're happy, what changes? Our breath. When we're sad and crying, what changes? Our breath. And so learning to understand and change our breathing patterns can really calm us down. So throughout the day, I allow myself to change the way I breathe to change how I'm feeling. And so if I'm feeling stressed or anxious, I breathe in for a count of four and I breathe out for more than four. And you really extend your exhale. And when you do that, you just start to calm your body down. I do that before I go on stages. I do that before I'm having a difficult phone conversation. I do it before I send a difficult email. I do it before I send an email. I do it before I do something. So this is a great technique you can use throughout the day and just do it before and after when you feel out of sync. I was going to ask you, for all the talks that you've done and you will in the future, if you get stage fright and how you calm yourself down. That's really interesting. So I, I still get nervous before I go on stage because I think it's, I, I notice it to be excitement. And, and I love that feeling because I think if I never felt yeah. nervous anymore, then life would kind of be a bit boring because everything would feel easy. Yeah. And, and I love the fact that I feel nervous when I really want to serve and do good in the world. And so I've been able to reframe 
how I see nervousness. Nervousness to me now is excitement and it's also my desire to be better and serve better. But I do that breathing exercise every time before I go on stage because it just brings my heart rate down and it just calms my body and my mind. And for you, whoever's listening or watching, you may not be going on stage, but you may be going into a difficult work meeting or you may be having a tough conversation with a family member or a friend. And it's so important to just pull back and breathe before you get into the conversation and then at the end as well, because you may not remember while you're on the call, but you will be able to do it before Mm -hmm. and after. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a great pause for you too, to, 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 to be able to do that, to go in with a more clarity. I think it gives you more clarity. And I always think of nervousness as a little energy boost. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> just going to just poke you just to remind you that you love what you do. And I know you don't want to do it, but you're going to do it and it'll be fine. And when you're finished, you'll be so glad that you did it. Right. That's how I think of it. I love that. That's I love that. Self-talk, self-talk, proven brain health benefits to thinking like a monk. So tell us about the brain health benefits. I'm sure there's many. I mean, Yeah, I mean, for the book, I was really lucky that a lot of my incredible friends, uh, Laurie Santos, who's an incredible professor at Yale University, and um, Dr. Robert Waldinger as well at Harvard, sent me and introduced me to so many incredible researchers who've done research on monks' brains. And when they scanned monks' brains, as I said before, they found the highest form of gamma waves, which are linked to presence, happiness, and compassion. And what they found in monks' brains was the ability to focus and switch focus like a light switch. So imagine being able to focus on one thing and then being able to focus on something else as if you were just switching on a light. Uh, They found 22 monks who had that ability as well. So these practices that monks do every day, they don't just... People who became monks weren't monks necessarily since birth. It's not that they had these gifts given to them. It's through daily practice. And we may not need to get to that level. We may not have the time. But even the small steps we take allow us to improve clarity, allow us to improve focus. And Marilyn, we both know this, that energy is so contagious. If you're stressed, rushed, and hurried, when you join that Zoom call, everyone can feel it that you're all over the place and you you haven't figured it out. And if you just took two minutes or 30 seconds before you went on there to calm your mind, to still your body, to feel in sync again, when you go onto that Zoom call, everyone's going to feel that. So we don't have to meditate for decades. We don't have to live like a monk to think like a monk. You can start by just changing the way you think and your mindset on a daily basis and start to experience these benefits. Yeah, I know I know a lot of people anticipate Zoom calls and they don't like them. And part of the reason is they're, you know, uptight about them. And then, you know, uh, it, it doesn't go as well as they think it could have gone. And they have a lot of regrets on that for sure. All right. Next question mm-hmm. for you, whether it's a pandemic, climate change, systemic racism, how can the monk mindset help us navigate this extremely difficult time? I think the first thing to realize is that the monk mind asks us to reflect on our own biases, our own shortcomings, our own self, and truly reflecting and asking ourselves, what do I need to do to improve myself in regards to what is happening in the world? 
Let me first look in the mirror and ask myself, how can I improve my mindset? How can I improve my approach? What do I need to do differently? Where in my life am I not living up to the standards that I believe are really important for me and society to live up to? And I think when we start with ourselves first, it allows us to create a much more authentic and organic version of what we now want to create in the world. Now, when we go out into the world, we go out with that compassion and understanding that even us as well-intentioned humans may be making mistakes and we allow everyone around us to also grow and understand that they also have their own growth journey. I think at the same time, the monk mindset is not about being passive. It's about being active around a cause, but that you're fueled and your intention is fueled with purpose and, and making a difference, mm -hmm. not with ego. And so you're coming at it from a point of truly wanting to build a world where we can really live equally and serve equally. So the, the monk mind is courageous, it's assertive, it's, it's powerful, but it's powered by something much more long-term and sustainable because sometimes uh, anger and ego can get us going, but they don't keep us going. Whereas purpose right. and deep love and intention, they keep us going forever. And that's really what we need. We need a voice and an organized voice that has the ability to last and has the ability to keep going in the face of the setbacks that are happening. And there's a beautiful quote by Martin Luther King that I love. And he said that those who love peace need to learn to organize themselves as well as those who love war. And this is a really profound statement that people who may be trying to cause issues in the world are really organized and strategic about it. And so if we want to create a world with more love and compassion and equal vision, then we also have to come at it from an organized and strategic way, but with a heart fueled by purpose and love and compassion. I so love talking to you. I could talk to you for another, I don't know, day because it's, oh, so uh, it's really reassuring. No, you're so reassuring. I, I wanted to talk to you about how, you know, how your parents felt about you becoming a monk. We didn't get to that. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about where your life is now. Well, we can ask you this question before we say goodbye to you, Jay, is what, what's your life like now? Are you, are you, um, besides all the things that you do, I'm sure there's some very famous people that uh, call you up and say, hey, I really screwed up here. I need some help on how to get uh, better again as far as, you know, whatever it is. I'm just assuming that because you're such a good, soulful person. What, what's life like for you to, these days? Uh, life for me right now is obviously I'm married, so I'm not a monk anymore. Yeah, I've been married for four years and been with my wife for seven years now. Uh, and she's absolutely incredible. I, the book's dedicated to her. And uh, we are so fortunate to have such an incredible group of friends who all want to do purposeful work. And we've really surrounded ourselves. We live in LA, but we're surrounded by all people who, whether they're in technology or entertainment, that they all want to do good yeah. in the world through their passions and purpose. And, and I just feel really happy if I can serve and help anyone in that way. But we're, we're grateful to be around a lot of people who also help me too and help me learn as well. And I've got so much to do and so it's such a long way to go and learn so much as well. Well, I hope we can talk with you again, Jay. It was such, such a pleasure. Uh, you're, you're, I hope you so can feel too. the joy you, coming Marilyn. out. Oh, it's so good. This is the book, Think Like a Monk.
Okay, finish this. Fin finish the title, Jay. Train your mind for peace and purpose every day. And where can we follow you? You can find me on Instagram, YouTube, or Facebook. I'm at Jay Shetty. Uh, it's my name everywhere on all those platforms. So wherever you are, I hope that you'll come and join the community. Thank you so much. Great speaking with you. Thank you. Marilyn Dennis does a podcast. New episodes every week. You can download or subscribe on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.